Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers podcast. Why does it matter if emotions are universal or not? Well, if emotions are universal, then moral and aesthetic judgments can have universal validity. So moral relativism would get thrown out because morality isn't subjective, but rather it's objective, since we all feel a similar way about what is good and bad if emotions are universal. And if emotions were universal, beauty would no longer be in the eye of the beholder, since beautiful things would elicit similar reactions universally. Conversely, if human emotions are purely dependent on one's cultural group and are therefore not universal, then ethics and morality and aesthetics would all be purely relative. So this is why it's important to discuss the the universality of emotion. Specifically, we're talking about the universality of facial expressions. Um, The sources for this episode, please check the description. So this is a two-parter. This part, we're really, more than anything, it's it's really just a prequel to the next one. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the history of research into the universality of facial expressions in this one. And then in part two next week, we're really going to dive more into uh, the research approaches to answer a lot more problems about universality of facial expressions. So early debates um, about whether facial expressions are universal or culture-specific really started with Charles Darwin. This is where all the modern-day work in this area uh, originated. Darwin posited that all humans, regardless of race or culture, possessed the ability to express emotions in similar ways because emotions and their expressions are innate. And they're all adaptations that are common to the entire human species. He said this, he said, The different races of man express their emotions and sensations with remarkable uniformity throughout the world. So Darwin, he, he also went and he, <clears throat> he used advances in photography and anatomy to conduct a detailed examination of the facial muscles that were involved in emotion. He concluded that the muscle actions are universal and their precursors can be seen in the expressive behaviors of non-human primates and other animals. So facial expressions have been developing through evolutionary history and are therefore present along a lot of the evolutionary tree. Darwin was the first person to realize this. So he, of course, explicitly argued against uh, Sir Charles Bell's claim that the muscles of the human face were created by God with the specific purpose to allow us to express emotions. Instead, Darwin argued that the precursors of the emotions that we express today can be found quite commonly in our evolutionary ancestors. He said, with mankind, some expressions such as the bristling of the hair under the influence of extreme terror or the uncovering of the teeth under that of furious rage can only be understood in the belief that man once existed in a much lower condition. So emotions to Darwin are not something that came from nowhere. They're adaptations that we have now inherited as humans. It's no surprise that with such an iconoclastic view, Darwin's work drew heavy criticism, just like so many great scientists before him. 
Galileo, Copernicus, Bruno, just to name a few. Critics mainly noted that these supposed vast differences in expressive behaviors um, actually exist across cultures. And they concluded that facial expressions could not possibly be universal across an entire species. Instead, these critics argued that emotional expressions had to be learned differently in every culture. Just as different cultures have different spoken languages, they must also have different expressive languages in the face as well. This is what the critics thought. Some theorists, though, were influenced uh, right away by, uh, by Darwin's suggestion that emotion might be rooted in our biology and is innate to all humans. William James, the father of American psychology, said, If emotion were emergent from very basic biological processes, it should be uniform within the entire human species, and so should emotional expression. Overall, though, between Darwin's 1876 writing and the 1960s, only a few studies attempted to test the universality of facial expression. These studies were inconclusive. So literature reviews of the 1960s concluded that facial expressions are not universal, but learned. Scientists at this time believed that emotional states were culture-specific and that all expressions and gestures acquired were acquired by the individual during their upbringing. So they're learned, and there's no genetic or heritable basis for facial expressions. It wasn't until the 1970s, almost a century after Darwin's initial examination into this area, that the real evidence for the universality of facial expressions appeared. This is the beginning of the evidence for the universality of facial expressions of the emotions. It really started in the 1960s. This is when the groundwork was laid. I know we said that it wasn't until the 70s that uh, it was confirmed that there's a universality in facial expressions. But in the 60s, what was happening is Sylvan Tompkins resurrected the interest in the study of emotions and faces when he published his landmark volumes called Affect, Imagery, and Consciousness. Affect is essentially synonymous for emotion. Tompkins also conducted the first ever study that showed facial expressions were associated with the same emotional states no matter who they asked. So Tompkins asked people of different cultures, what expression is this face showing? And it didn't matter what culture, what culture he asked, people were saying the same thing. So there's a universality in how we judge facial expressions at least is what he found. But these initial findings were criticized because this evidence that different cultures can agree on the emotion of a face might simply have occurred because these different cultures are all watching the same media. So for instance, TV, movies, and magazines. So maybe they, these uh, common facial expressions are, are not innate, but they're still culturally learned. Even if it's different cultures, they're all learning from the same media. So this is what critics thought, no, these facial expressions can still just be learned. They're just learned from the media, perhaps. So these, to address these limitations, this is when Paul Ekman comes in. And no conversation about 
the universality of facial expressions or even just facial expressions is complete without Paul Ekman. Because this is when he and his colleagues conducted two studies with isolated pre-literate tribes in the highlands of New Guinea. They couldn't read. They didn't have access to any of the media that these other cultures had. So this is why they wanted to study them. Because if they found these, uh, if they found that these tribes, people in New Guinea could identify these emotions, uh, these facial expressions, the same way that other people could, then this shows that they're universal because they're not exposed to the media that we are. So how could they possibly have learned the same ways to express themselves as we could have? They couldn't. It had to be natural. It had to come simply from, uh, from innate genetic mechanisms. So this is the study that, the brilliant study that Ekman conducted. So the tribes people were given three photographs, each of a different face, and they were told a story which was designed to involve only one emotion and represent one of those three faces. They were asked to pick the photograph that showed the person in the story. So Ekman and his colleagues would ask, which face best describes the story based on the emotion in the story? So pick out of these three faces that we've shown you, which best describes the emotion? The result was that the subjects successfully picked the photograph of the appropriate emotional expression. This was the first real hint that emotions can be identified universally, even in cultures that can't read and they have no access to the media that we have. Same emotions and they're still recognizing these same emotions. In the second study, it was flipped. The new Ghanaians were asked to act out the facial behavior of the people that were described in the stories. And videotapes of these act-outs were sent to U.S. college students who had never seen New Guineans before. The U.S. students were accurate in their judgments of the emotions that the New Guineans were trying to display. So this showed that emotions can be identified cross-culturally. Westerners can identify New Guineans' emotions, even, even though they've never seen the faces of those people before. And New Guineans can identify emotions of Westerners, even if they've never seen those people or been exposed to the same media as them. This really showed the ability to recognize facial expressions. And it showed that this ability did not occur because of learning through mass media. The New Ghanaians had no exposure to the outside world, and the Americans had never seen facial expressions of New Ghanaians. But one limitation still existed, and in these studies, the limitation was that they were only examining judgments of facial expressions and did not investigate the spontaneous production of facial expressions. So, yes, it may be universal the way we judge uh, facial expressions. But maybe we don't produce facial expressions in the same way. So it still could have been the case that facial expressions are not produced universally in the same way. And then we have another study that addressed this limitation of Ekman's research. It was Friesen's 1972 study that addressed this limitation. In this study, American and Japanese participants were presented with neutral and stressful films. During the experiment, both the Americans and the Japanese show the same expressions, showing this universality of, of, of uh, facial expressions. This provided the real first evidence that facial expressions 
of emotion were universally produced because they were for the first time capturing people producing these facial expressions in the same way, not just identifying them like Ekman had done. And since this study by Friesen, numerous studies have replicated the findings about the universality of facial expressions. In addition to, and initially they were only studying six basic emotions, anger, disgust, fear, happiness, surprise, and sadness. In addition to this, the new research that blossomed from these early studies found that contempt was identified as a universal, universal expression in various studies. So today, there's now strong evidence for the universal facial expression of seven emotions. These are seven emotions. Facial, uh, we, we, we have facial expressions of these seven emotions universally in New Guinea, and in Canada, in the United States, anywhere in the world, these seven emotions are shown on the face. This is what this research started to find. Around this same time when research was really burgeoning in this area, human ethologists demonstrated the early emergence of some of these expressions in human infants, and primatologists established the similarity between human facial expressions and those of non-human primates. So. Now we're seeing research that's showing that these expressions are universal even across species and that there's a definite biological basis of these facial expressions. Even the chimps have these vestiges of, of our emotions. So throughout the whole evolutionary tree, we see that these facial expressions are somehow ingrained biologically. It's not purely cultural. And this is what these findings started to turn up. Now. Addressing even more limitations in this area still has to be done. Even these studies that improved on uh, Ekman's study and then how Friesen improved on Ekman, there are still more limitations in these studies and more issues in the area of universality of, of emotion and facial expression have yet to be resolved. This documentation of the universality of emotional expression in cultures around the world still, therefore, does not completely resolve the question of whether emotional expressions are biologically innate or if they are learned. Other methodologies, hence, have been used to resolve these unsolved questions. Work has been done in blind individuals, twins, infants, and animals. Why do we have to study in all these different populations to address the limitations of these studies? And that's what we're really going to dive into next week. We're going to get into the weeds about how this is really studied and how the brilliant ways these researchers tackle these problems, the, the research designs that they implement to really solve the complex problems in this area. It's my hope that the beauty of science will really be on display next week, as hopefully it was at least slightly in this week, although uh, this episode was kind of, as I mentioned, a prequel to that one. But I really hope the beauty of science will be on display next week as we talk about the studies that are designed to improve on the studies that were themselves designed to improve on studies even before that. Such is the nature of science. Thank you for listening to this episode, everybody. If you liked it, the best thing you can do is to share it with someone who you think would like it to um, I hope this has piqued your interest for next week, you guys. Next week, uh, yeah, I'm super excited for that one. We're really going to get into um, universality of human emotion uh, and, and facial expression and, and then 
more research that's come up on the cultural differences that do exist in how individualistic cultures represent facial expressions and and uh, collectivistic cultures have facial expressions and we're going to get into the weeds and, and, and really discuss some some brilliant experiments in this area um, this has been the insightful thinkers podcast everybody in-depth analysis diverse set of topics we'll see you next week This podcast is a production of Insightful Thinkers Media.